Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya and this is episode number 92. My guest today is the lovely Hannah Cameron. Hannah has just released a beautiful solo album called Holding Pattern, which you should go and listen to immediately. And she wrote it on a baritone guitar, which is pretty cool. Um, Hannah also plays with people such as the Paper Kites and Missy Higgins, so you might have seen her around the traps. We spoke remotely in October of this year and she was just about to embark on a long Paper Kites tour of North America. Now that she's back, she is playing some album launches of her own. Uh, Her Sydney and Brisbane album shows are coming up on the 1st and 2nd of December. So if you listen to before then, please go and buy tickets. Hannah's strange experience was illustrated by my good friend, Jack Spider. You can find him on Instagram at social jacktivism. I will put a link to that in the show notes. It's a very silly illustration for a very silly story. As always, you can see all of these illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. Thank you so much for listening. Here we go. Episode number 92 with Hannah Cameron. How's your day? My day's actually been really nice. I went to um, a day spa. What? Um, <laughs> which is like not something that I usually do. But um, my friend Bridget, I don't know if you know Bridget Winton, um, who plays under Winton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we both yeah. released our albums um, recently. Yes. And so we, weeks ago, like months ago, we're like, let's go have a spa day to celebrate. And today was the day we did it. That's so, so lovely. And do you know... I have had did a similar thing because my album buddy was Georgia Mooney, who I believe is a good oh, friend of yours too. Yes. And um, we had a Hunter Valley holiday to celebrate our <sighs> album release. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I just think it's it's you gotta do you gotta do something to celebrate. It's all so intangible otherwise. Also, it's really nice to do it with someone who completely understands the the, the like how long it took, how many roller coaster totally. emotions you had of like, I think this is going really well. And then the next day I hate everything I'm hearing. Totally. And um, it's so that's so nice that you had an album buddy as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a few of us. Like there's a, there, I feel like so many people have been releasing al- like amazing albums in the last few months. Um, so it's been nice. Yeah. It's been nice to have some camaraderie. That's so <laughs> nice. Yeah. Congrats on your album as well. Oh, thank you Congrats so much. On, yeah. It's, yeah. It's so, yeah, I was having a listen the other day. It's amazing. Just synth heaven. (laughs) (laughs) I've obviously been listening to to yours a bunch as well. And I guess, I I mean, obviously, I really want to talk about the album, but I'm really interested to hear, because you grew up in Brisbane, right? How did I not know you? I did. Um, Because I left like straight after high school. Okay. Um, So I never really got to be in the Brisbane scene, which is like a real shame because there was some really great things happening yeah. like just after I left or you know like there was yeah I mean Brisbane has such an amazing scene um but I just like got it in my head that I was going to move to Melbourne and I did it and then yeah I haven't come back <laughs> yeah I think I read in your bio or something that you're from Brisbane and I was like wait what I feel like I, I know I'm a trader yeah <laughs> no not that just that I didn't know you <laughs> mm. But we do have a million billion friends in common. Yes. Um, So I feel like I do know you. But you know what's really funny is that your producer, Matt Redlick. Matt. um, Matt and I went to high school together. He told me that. That is crazy. So funny. Well, do you know what? No, no. Another crazy story is that Matt and I realized that his, his uncle was my dad's best man. What? So like his uncle, like without, we had no idea about this until like I mentioned that I was working with Matt Redlick to my parents and dad's like, Redlick, oh, that's so, that's so crazy. Like, I wonder if it's the same Redlick. Wow. Yeah. And so we probably were like at some like terrible family barbecues together over the years, but just like we're, you know, sort of far enough apart in age, like. I love that. Maybe 
nine years or something where like you just don't speak yeah. to the kids who are <laughs> totally <laughs> so yeah Brisbane small place small place <laughs> but yeah I, I'm always excited when I see Matt's name come up in people's credits because you know I remember him as this nerdy um tall boy in my class and we used to yeah and he was really good at finger picking and I was really jealous I used to get him to learn like Beck b-sides when oh we were in God. high school <laughs> Oh, I would have loved to have known him in high school. That would have just, yeah, I, yeah I'm yeah, i kind of jealous. <laughs> yeah, it was really cute. And it's the other really funny thing is that Matt won the music prize at the end of grade 12. I and I he did. really, like, he was like my music nemesis <laughs> because I wanted to win the music prize. Oh, it's so competitive, that stuff. That stuff is so, I mean, just even having a music prize is just so inherently flawed, isn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah. I remember that too. It was just like, (laughs) you know, what's really great is that he ended up, I think it was a music tech prize and he, you know, he, he wins in life. He's a much better producer (laughs) than me. And (laughs) you know, it's all right. He's allowed to win now. It's fine. Uh, He is very good, but so are you. So thank you. Thanks for saying that. Um, so, okay, so Brisbane, yes. Tick, you moved to Melbourne yeah. to, you were studying jazz. Can you tell me about that? I um, I, saw, I don't really know why I got it in my head that I wanted to study jazz. I think I just saw like a lot of cool artists coming out of VCA and I knew I wanted to do music and I sort of was getting into jazz in high school. Um, and so, yeah, I, I auditioned and I didn't get in the first year and so I did this like foundation course, um, which was kind of great because it like really set me up for the rest of the time there. And yeah, so it was like an improvisation course. So it was cool in that the first year was focused on jazz standards, but the second year, like we still did jazz and it was definitely like jazz leaning, but you could do original music in second and third year. Um, If there was, you know, you sort of had to incorporate improvisation in some way. Um, So, you know, it was often like people doing like, pop songs or folk songs with just like <laughs> five minute guitar solos in the middle of it but um <laughs> did you go to study guitar like jazz guitar or jazz voice or voice yeah guitar I really only I got into guitar maybe in like second year I st- I'd played a little bit in high school but I was a terrible terrible student of <laughs> basically all things music in high school like I just was one of those students who would absolutely infuriate me now where it's just like naturally had some ability but never really only worked on the things that I felt like working on just like would never do the practice that actually would be helpful um so yeah I started I think I I think I was just like I heard a Laura Marling song and I was like I think I want to play the guitar again um and yeah and so I got into it in in second year but it was yeah it was pretty self-taught. What did improvisation sound like with jazz voice? Was it a lot of sh- shooby-doobs? Well, or? no, I was lucky in that my – so I had – I don't know if you know Gian Slater. She's like no. an amazing, amazing vocalist. Um, uh, and her style of improvisation was like, um, you know, it was still wordless and, you know, it was scatting but it was – there was no like scooby-doo-wop, you know, like it yeah. was um, – yeah, I don't know how to explain it but – it was it was a bit it was a bit less cheese town than than um full out like all out scatting you know not that there's you know obviously like Ella Fitzgerald Sarah Vaughan incredible like they're they're allowed but you know that sometimes it can just the the scooby wop thing can definitely <laughs> <laughs> go too far yeah and I, by all means I didn't mean to insult any scooby ups oh no there's definitely uh yeah wordless singing that mm. went on um and I really. I loved that training because I think it just makes so many other aspects of music feel much easier. If you can sort of have the language to improvise, then it makes songwriting feel easier, I think, because improvisation is sort of like spontaneous composition or, song, mm. you know, spontaneous writing. Um, and so I think it definitely like was a really nice foundation for writing music and and like harmonizing and Mm. yeah so many so many things it's it's really cool yeah and so many things obviously that you're now using a lot of both Mm. in your songwriting and probably a lot in your teaching as well totally teaching and like yeah and just like learning other people's music um I think like the oral side of things like having sort of that oral training was really helpful for 
for learning things a bit, you know, a bit easier. Totally. You know, I was just talking to someone today who was saying that their child uh, is can basically hear a song and play it, and I mm. and I was like, oh yeah, that's that's what I used to do when I was a kid. I've I've never really been good at reading music or anything like that, but I could always have. I always had that ear for. You know, like I yeah. could hear a BG song and sort of play basically the chords or whatever. Um, is is that how you started as well? Yeah, I mean, I started like I think the first thing that I did musically was playing the piano, um, and my grandma was actually like really good pianist, and so she started like I learned from her first, and Aww. she would also play songs on the piano, and um, I would sing, you know, terribly. I'm like I'm sure (laughs) but that's sort of those are my earliest memories of music and I definitely um yeah I'm more like oral leaning than I'm not a great reader I can I can read music but I'm much slower at reading than I am at um yeah picking things up by ear yeah I'm like 10 times slower like I really have to go that's a C that's a G and then (laughs) figure out yeah 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 yeah, yeah. (laughs) I can sort of do it like for singing, I think, because I had to do it a bit in uni and like I sung in choirs in, in high school. But oh, yeah. yeah, piano, I hate reading piano and I'm terrible at reading. Like I cannot read on guitar. Yeah, um, I'm yeah. like so impressed by people that can sight read. I don't, it's like, I don't know how people do it. Yeah, I know, I'm really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so after you went to music school or, or university, yes. did you then become a teacher straight away? Yeah, I sort of... Um, I think I, oh, sorry, there's a very loud siren outside my house about to go past, but um, I I sort of fell into it. I, th- I think a lot of people who study music, it sort of is like, um, you know, it pays better than working in hospitality, which is what I was doing beforehand. Um, that was sort of like, I worked in hospitality all through uni and then I got offered this teaching gig, but it was at sort of like um, a music shop that ran a school sort of, as well, I don't know if you have if that's a thing in Brisbane. Probably, I think it yeah. probably is. Yeah, I think that's um, the thing. And you know, like the conditions were not great. Like the pay was not amazing. But eventually, like I feel like with teaching, a lot of the time it's who you know, which is <laughs> yeah, which is a bit nepotistic. But like you know, my friend was um, head of music at a school, and and they were looking for a voice teacher. So I started there, and yeah, I've sort of been doing that as well as music stuff ever since. How and is it balancing the two? Can you do it easily it or can, is it tricky? Mm, it's tricky. It's tricky. I feel like one thing, I feel like um, it's rare that I feel like I'm doing a really good job of both things. Yeah. Um, but I think that they both, I feel like teaching has kept me really active musically. Like, I, you know, most days kids will come in and, and want to learn a, a song that I've never heard before and so I you know I do just have to like and there's no chord chart for it because it's like something super new yeah um and so yeah I'm just having to pick things up um really quickly and I take choir rehearsals and you know so I think it's definitely kept a lot of my um musical sort of like language and skills active when they might have atrophied do people ever come and bring you songs and you're like oh what the fuck is this fuck oh yeah yeah <laughs> Like all the time, but I kind of, I also have just sort of learned to love it because I think like I, when I left music school, my approach to teaching was sort of like um, trying to, you know, like make sure that they had a really good music education. And I still mm. want that. But what I've realized over time is that actually, and it was, this was definitely the case for me as a, as a high school student, like the, the entry point is like they have to be enjoying whatever they're doing. Of course. And if you, and there's sort of like, you can lose them if you try to, you know, force them to do something that they don't want to do or like force your taste upon them. Um, totally. They, you lose them. And then I think that's like such a shame. Yeah. And, you know, I've sort of reflected on certain students that I have lost over the year by years by like maybe not letting them do what they want. And so, yeah. So now my approach is like, yeah, sure. You want to do, you want to do that song? That's fine. <laughs> but then I guess you have to draw a bit of a line if they're like, I want to do life ain't nothing but bitches and money. Like, oh, <laughs> yes, no, I don't know. no, there's definitely a like, um, maybe, maybe no songs with like, yeah, swear words or like, uh, <laughs> adult <laughs> themes. <laughs> yeah it's really hard save that for your home life yeah I I remember when I I might have told this story on the podcast before but I had like a very few 
um, vocal lessons in high school, which is probably why I sing very softly and, you know, not like a pro singer, but um, we had to sing The Rose and all I remember is, you know, someone really like going, you need to push from the diaphragm and you really need to go, (laughs) some say love it is a river. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. I just want to, I wanted to sing like Weezer songs. No, I'm definitely not that singing. Well, I hope I'm not that singing teacher. Fuck. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny to re- to remember though because I, I did really feel like I, I loved music so much and I wanted to make it and I wanted to sing but I yeah. certainly didn't want to sing Some Say Love It Is A River, you know. <laughs> I had to sing that song too. I did that for a singing exam. Did you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I also had this teacher because I had like um, when I was in high school I had nodules because um, oh, no. I was just like I learned how to belt and it was really fun but turns out that I wasn't doing it very well um and anyway I had this musical theater teacher but in a I went to like young con at the con I don't know if you know they sort of like a the program that they run for high school students um and anyway she made me sing do you know the jazz standard misty it's like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm as helpless as a kitten. Anyway, yeah, she made me sing that song basically for a year, and no, but, what? But like, and every week it was just like less breath, less breath. Just got to make it more nasal, more nasal resonance. Um, and so it's just like <laughs> this, like that song now is so triggering to me. Like I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot hear that song without just wanting to like crawl under the table. A year? Um, Jesus. Yeah, it was, I reckon, I mean, that's what it feels like in my mind of just like not being able to move on yeah. from that song the entire time that I was having lessons with her. It was just like. Oh, mate. Yeah. And anyway. what did you want to sing? Like what were, what were the things that were keeping you inspired to keep making mm. music when you were a kid? I mean, I loved, I loved Missy Higgins. Um and I loved like, I mean, Laura Marling, I really, I really loved Laura Marling in high school. Um, but I did get, I did definitely love jazz, but I just didn't want to sing it. Like, yeah, that makes <laughs> Like sense. a musical theatre singer. It was this weird, like that and that, yeah, just that song. Um, but yeah, I was pretty, I was pretty into lots of different music. I was into like choir. I was a real choir nerd um, and loved harmonies. Um yeah, I mean, it's sort of weird thinking back to that time because I sort of forget um, what I was even listening to. It sounds like you were really inspired by by something that is sort of sounded attainable. Like I think Missy mm. and Laura Marling, those are people that write mm. very personal songs and it doesn't yes. seem too far out of reach. Yes. Even though they're both incredible. Yeah, I just loved like learning those. Yeah, I loved learning those songs and – yeah, being like, oh, I can, I can sing and play. I can it's do really this. Fun. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah, I suppose like you were saying before, you touched on learning other people's songs, and you obviously do a lot of that now. You play in lots of people's bands, and yeah, and even get to play with Missy. I have to talk to you about I that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually told her yet that I'm like a total, total like long term fan. Yeah, but I I had a similar thing because I got to join Regurgitator, who were, I was oh, obsessed yeah. with when I was in high school, yeah. and. Um, you know, there is something really fun. I've talked to Davy Lane about this too because he, he was obsessed yeah. with UMI and then got to join UMI. Yeah. There's like a few of us really lucky people who got yeah. to actually play the songs that we were so inspired by as kids. Totally. Um, and almost songs you already knew, like I'd already learnt those solos that, you yeah. know. Oh, 100%. <laughs> I'm like I had to learn like uh, one of like the first time I played with Missy was on quite short notice and – and she was like, oh, thanks so much for learning um, all those songs. And I was like, yeah, no, no worries. Um, I was like, okay, I knew just... them all. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice. That's such – well, how lucky are we? That's so lovely. So, so lucky, yeah. Um, but, yeah, what, going back to learning other people's songs, so obviously you've mm. sort of been doing it your whole life, but do you feel like mm. you learn something new every time you learn someone else's song? Yeah, like to- I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like um, every different band that I play with, I feel like they end up like something of theirs ends up coming out in what I'm writing, mm. um, like in some 
you know, hopefully like indirect way, but um, <laughs> you just rip off all of. Sometimes that. I'm like, shit. I yeah. I hope I'm not yet. <laughs> Sometimes I have to check. You know, like those, when you write those songs and you're like, that sounds really familiar, but yeah. I think actually, it's just a good song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I definitely, and I, I think also because I often am like forced into like, you know, not forced, but like. Um, encouraged into doing things that are outside of my comfort zone so like for this paper kites um record that we're about to well that we recorded last year and that we're about to go on tour with yeah um I play Hammond and and like just keys I just play keys and and tambourine I've gotten really good at tambourine well I mean much better at tambourine than I was over the last year (laughs) um but yeah like those that those things were like I've never played um, organ really before that album um so just like learning new skills and just like remembering that you can actually keep learning new skills it's really easy I think to to just yeah. keep doing the thing that you're really comfortable with totally yeah. and those I guess tambourine and Hammond are both like really percussive instruments yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you, you need to have good rhythm to even start with those two yeah I think that all the things help each other out as well yeah um, and then on the flip side of that, because I sometimes get this feeling, I know the more you play with other people, the more you sort of yearn to do your own thing or you yeah. feel like slightly unsatisfied with just playing other people's songs. Do you find that as well? Maybe more that like, yeah, playing with other people just really ins- makes me be like, oh, yeah, I want to I want to do that thing. Um, mm. And and maybe like feeling what it's like to play in a really beautiful theater or something you know it makes you feel hungry uh, for that for yourself I think um totally yeah so I definitely come back from tours with other people feeling excited to to work on my stuff but I also just love I love playing with other people and not having to like worry about promoting a gig oh or my god I know the logistics like just showing up and I playing know. music is so so nice like especially when you've been like working on an album and you know booking a tour and like doing everything yourself to just be like there's a tour manager and um my gear set up gear is set up my gear is set up and it's been carried into the venue for me like (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) I know that's a real luxury isn't it when you've been doing it yourself for so long yeah I always forget and then when you play with bigger people you're like oh my god yeah and then when you go back to doing it yourself it's like wait oh man oh I've got to carry this myself (laughs) I know this shit is heavy I just had my album (laughs) launch on Friday and I I reckon I had like 10 pieces of equipment yeah you would have a lot yeah you would have you must have so many like how many synths do you use on a gig well I only had three on stage (laughs) for that gig only three (laughs) but then I also had a guitar and a pedal board and an amp and oh my god yeah I had a lot of stuff that's a lot so um that is a lot yeah and I was like there's no one here except me to set this up and to you know uh but that's fine I I also loved it um but there's a real difference and also it's really funny playing in in bigger artists bands you know like I'm sure Mm. with Missy and Paper Kites and stuff but you're sort of playing to thousands and thousands of people and then when you play your own shows it's a very different experience yeah 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 it sort of feels scarier to go back to fewer people I think like you can see the faces and you you know like you know some of the people in the audience yeah yeah, um, it is a weird feeling. But I love, I actually love small rooms, playing in small, playing to small rooms. Why do you love it? I think I, I think it's just like feels, I like when gigs feel intimate and um, yeah, like you know who you're singing to or something. Mm. I love playing bigger, you know, that's not to say that I don't like playing bigger rooms as well. Mm. would obviously be great to play bigger rooms for my own yeah. stuff as well. But um, yeah, I feel like I still do really enjoy a cosy a cozier gig I've not seen you play live before but when you play live do you try and crack jokes to disarm the audience no not really no? <laughs> I'm really <laughs> that's bad. what I do I'm really bad at banter it's not <laughs> it's not my strong suit like there'll be a small amount of talking in my show but for the most part I just 
try and stick to music because I feel like I'm definitely better at music than I am at public yeah. speaking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can just never think of a joke, especially in the moment. I'm like, oh, there's no – I wouldn't have a, a hope in hell of thinking of a joke in the moment. And yeah. even trying to come up with one beforehand, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I have friends who are so good at it. I think that have like seeing people who are really good at it, and it just comes so naturally, makes me be like, I think that maybe I should just leave that to them to be good at that. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, I just, yeah, I start saying really weird things and turn into a bit <laughs> of a comedian. But, um, but when I when you see someone like Dan Kelly, you're like, God damn oh, it! Like he's yeah, he's amazing. It's so he's yeah. so funny, and yeah, it's always totally. different. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. No, some people just have that gift and I'm not yeah. one of those people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I am either. <laughs> but um, let's talk about your album. So it came out sure. in September, which was yes. um, as Nearly a month speak, ago. a month ago. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's called Holding Pattern. And the, the thing that I realized about it immediately or the thing that really caught my ear immediately was that the first track sounds really kraut rocky like noi <laughs> or cluster which you know is like totally my bag um yeah and yeah i just wanted to ask like did you reference them on purpose or did that just sort of come out and then later on you went oh i think we wrote like a kraut song so i would say that that reference definitely came more from like matt and the band than for me i yeah. haven't really listened to that much kraut rock in my life but i think this but the song what it like the pattern that i wrote on the guitar was like pretty kraut rock feel yeah it was sort of like as soon as I played it to them they were like oh it's a kraut rock song and I was like really? okay cool yeah um yeah <laughs> and even that like the the chord progression at the start where you change sort of very small intervals yeah yeah the um, sort of chromatic thing yeah it's so it's so great I loved it immediately Thank oh thanks yeah that one's really fun to play with the band I we bet a good time yeah but when you were writing that song was it more like folky or guitar picky or like how did it, it was, come out well all of the songs from this album I wrote on the baritone guitar which That's I think right. is like um why it sounds quite different to previous stuff that I've written mm. um and yeah I um I just started that as like it was sort of like a bass like a sort of droney bass liney type thing on the baritone um and yeah it just like it wasn't folky but it wasn't I don't think nearly as rocky in my mind as what it ended up um yeah once we did pre-production um that's awesome the journey of a song the journey of a song it's pretty cool I actually was listening back to some voice memos like I was trying to find another voice memo and I was listening back to like I don't know if you ever do this but like listening back to the earliest versions oh yeah of of the song and just being like, whoa, I forgot like how many iterations this thing went through, even just like over the course of a day to arrive at the place that it arrived at and how many bad ideas you have to <laughs> wade through to get to like the good idea. And it's really nice to just like be reminded of that sometimes I think because like when you're writing a song, if you, you, if you haven't been doing it all the time, yeah, I think sometimes I'm really impatient to get to the good idea yeah um and I'm like where is it and it's like no you just have to just have to write some really really out like <laughs> terrible terrible lyrics and then yeah. you maybe will find some some decent ones yeah it is funny isn't it because so rarely does a song just sort of fall out of a head uh, uh yeah beautiful and fully formed yeah um and Never do you do, do you do um, mumble tracks? No, I am quite jealous of people who can do that. It doesn't work for me. I think I don't. I think um, yeah. For when I'm doing it, I usually have some lyrical thing already written, um, and then yeah, and and I get quite attached to that. So yeah, I I've tried doing the mumble track thing, and it just never works, um, mm. which is annoying because I feel like. It sounds like a fun way to do it. I think I'm too self-conscious or something. Yeah, It's probably fine to do it if you're in a room by yourself. Yeah. I think maybe my fear is like that I'll get really attached to a melody and I won't be able to find the good lyric to match it. Yeah, um, sure. 
that's just me doubting doubting myself I guess but <laughs> well, yeah I think yeah. I need to have the lyric before I find the melody so that I don't get attached to something that I might not be able to use right so you always start with a lyrical idea yeah and the lyric you know it will definitely change but I think that before I can commit to a melody I need to feel good about or good enough about the lyric mm. yeah it's so interesting how other people do it totally and do you do you sit down and sort of you'll finish one song before you start a new song? Mm, no, I mean, I don't have I, – I was listening to Sam, your conversation with Sam from the Paper Kites. Yeah. And, I, and he was talking about how – that was with you, right? Where he was yeah. talking about like he – yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not that good. I'm not that disciplined. I've got so many unfinished songs. Um, I know. That was but, really interesting that he was saying he yeah. finishes every song. Yeah. I'd never heard that like, before. Like, How? How do you do that, Sam? Um, I know, because especially if you're like, oh, this one's shit. You don't want to yes. then like give that its time. time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, sometimes I, I think I do tend to work on like one song, like try to see one song um, as far as I can. But yeah, there's definitely be times where I've worked on like bits and pieces of different songs. I find it really interesting how some people can sort of just plop another chorus into a song when they've already written a chorus mm. for that song. Do you ever yeah. do something like that where you just change a, a, a bit completely, take it from another song or, you know, like. Very rarely, if ever, I don't think, like the only times maybe that I do something like that is if I'm trying to find like, it's more like a lyrical thing maybe mm. that I might be like, oh, I had that, that lyric maybe makes sense for this song. But yeah, it's, I don't think I've ever like taken a section of one song and, imposed it on another um I loved that in your bio you have um that you wrote this album um with help from the trained ear of your therapist <laughs> can you talk to that line <laughs> <laughs> that was actually so Ruby Gill wrote my bio oh great <laughs> and um that was her line um she's very good at writing <laughs> writing all things songs and um copy um yeah so I I think that with this album, this is the first album that I've written uh, since uh, having therapy. Um, mm. I think like, and I just sort of noticed that, um, and I think a few people have sort of like mentioned that it sounds like it feels like a big shift from previous albums. And I think like a lot of that is to do with, you know, the the producer and the instrumentation and the fact that it was written on baritone. But I feel like even just in the, when I sort of reflect on the lyrics, um, I feel like they're sort of written from a bit of a different like narrative voice or something like mm. that maybe um yeah I think that therapy is like an interesting way to um observe how you are in the world um and I think that that can be an interesting lens through which to write um having like a bit more awareness of of how you operate I think well for me having more awareness of how and why I operate in the way that I do I mm. think maybe maybe helped the writing yeah yeah absolutely I mean I feel like any kind of self-reflection is where songs come from so if yeah you have like a yeah bigger grasp of that then amazing yeah um I think like when I listened to my first two albums yeah I just feel like they were written from a, a very different uh, like sort of from a place of things happening to me without really know, like understanding why. And I listen back and I'm like, oh, you're a lost little lamb. Um, and, you know, maybe you always look, listen back to your, um, you know, to your previous work and, and feel like that. I don't know. But this, I just feel like I was maybe a bit more aware of, of who I was when I was writing this album. That's so lovely. I think that's – and hopefully the next album will be even more that. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully I don't go, like, backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unlikely, <laughs> unlikely. <Yeah. laughs> well, what, so speaking of that then, what kind of self-talk did you do while making the album then, if you were sort of self-reflecting? Yeah, I think it was sort of like – I mean, there's definitely ones that are – there's little, like, I think notes to myself throughout the album. I think, like, there's a song um, called – is it a palace or is it, well, I think we actually just called it palace or prison, which is sort of, it was, you know, sort of a, written in lockdown, but it was also just a song about like, how are you going to view your situation? Like, is it, you know, 
and is it like is it a palace or is it a prison is sort of yeah just it's a reference from a book actually um called a gentleman in moscow that was like um this guy living uh in a sort of in under house arrest and and being like you know is is this room that you're stuck in for potentially the rest of your life is it going to be a palace or is it going to be a prison yeah um yeah so there's there's little like little notes to myself I think throughout the album um yeah I guess I don't know in terms of self-talk I think it was it was not necessarily like a conscious thing of like I am in therapy now and so I'm going to write the album um from this place I think it was more just like something that I noticed upon like reflection um when I was listening back to the songs yeah it felt like um yeah it just felt like a different voice. I am a better person now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a slightly more aware person now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. I think I feel the same way about my album. I think it's yeah, it, cool. it's it just feels um more personal and even though yeah. um it's not necessarily all very obvious to other people, I feel like yeah, it says a lot more about me than any other thing that I've ever done. So that's yeah. nice nice that you feel that as well yeah it's a good feeling when you were working with Matt did you feel like mm. did you did you feel like you had to surrender control a little bit I really liked it you know it wasn't so much surrender but it was just like nice to have to not be like in charge of everything for me I mm. kind of liked being able to be like um you know we would both be contributing ideas and the band as well would contribute ideas um but yeah, I think especially for things like tracking vocals and deciding on band takes because all of the band takes were live. Yeah, right. I'm a real perfectionist or in the past, yeah, I mean, I am a perfectionist, um, I think, full stop. But yeah. recording in this way was really helpful, I think, for me because um, like you can't be a perfectionist recording live. Like there's always just going to be little things that you could have done you know bet inverted commas like better but actually they're the things that give the recording like a feeling of energy and and I don't know like aliveness um and so having Matt sort of be the Matt would sort of when we'd finish a take he'd be like cool that was that was the one kind of um you know very and he has a really good ear for that sort Mm. of thing I think in a way that I definitely I cannot be objective you know, after I've just recorded something, it's sort of like my brain is just like, that was shit. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think that, that that's really important to have someone else uh, go, that's enough. Like that's, yes. you've done it. Yeah, um, yeah, Because totally. you could just spiral into, you know, up your own ass forever. A hundred percent. And like a, for that and for, for vocal tracking. Yeah, especially vocals. Yeah. yeah, my last two albums I've comped my own vocals, which is just like <laughs> a a special kind of hell yeah Um, I did that on my my record too it's yeah it's I just never want to do it anyway and I didn't have to I didn't do that for this record because Matt (laughs) did um and yeah it's just really nice having someone be like nah you you should leave that like yes that note is like maybe it's a little bit wobbly or maybe it's a little bit I don't know out but it's got there's something about it that's Mm. that has feeling um yeah, because yeah. those are always my favourite bits about totally. other people's records. Other people's, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You don't it's like edit those out too much. Yeah, but I always, I always want to edit it out of mine because I'm like, no, it's not right. It's not, it's in not tune. perfect. It's not this. Everything yeah, it's must not perfect. be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I have that feeling too. At least when you yeah. when you're sequencing, everything's like on the on the beat. So. It's yeah. easier for me when I'm sequencing stuff. Yeah. Yo, this was not – when you did none of this record to click, so that wow. was another challenge, was just like everything – yeah, we couldn't – yeah, there were no – I mean, we did overdubs but not to click, like, you know, yeah, yeah. of other instruments. But Wow, um, that's pretty great. I wouldn't have picked that mm. listening to the record. Yeah, well, I mean, Lee Fisher is a bit of a human metronome, so that helps. Lee's who the, plays drums. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's so, it's so beautiful. Like, I think overall, Thank you. there's, you know, there's so much, um, there's so much going on. That pedal steel is so beautiful. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm such Matt a sucker Dixon. for pedal steel. 
Me too. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this because for this Paper Kites tour, um, Matt plays in that band as well. Um, and there's just paper, pedal steel on like pretty much every song. And it's just like, it just, it does something to the soul, I think, just being around that much pedal steel. It's yeah. really, yeah. It's really oh, yeah. Special. Whenever there's pedal steel in a song, I feel like my heart opens a little bit. It's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. It's, there's something about it. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. You got some. I I have some on my record too. Um, yeah, randomly just on on one song, and it was who played um, on yours? Danny Whittacombe. Do you know him? Oh, I know that name. Yeah, Is he's he in amazing. Yeah, Brisbane. Um, yeah, amazing cool. guitarist, and he, yeah, he just. Cool. Re- I recorded most of my record just in my little studio at home, but um, he yeah he recorded that amazing. bit at his house, and it's, it changed everything. Yeah, that's the, that's the feeling that I had on mine as well. I was like, it's the missing piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. it's so lovely. And mm. also there's um, there's definitely some chord changes on this record that um, that I feel like were really interesting and and very different to your last records. Um, mm. Did you feel like you were trying to go to places that you hadn't been before when you were writing those chord changes? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that part of it was right. The way that I was writing on the baritone was really different. Yeah, um, tell me about just that. Like, tell me about how you were approaching songs. Well, I think like when I started playing the baritone, I was almost approaching it. I think backsliding was pretty much the first song that I wrote on the baritone, and I was kind of approaching. It was almost like trying to be a bass player. Yeah. Um, and so, whereas I think in my other like when I play guitar normally or on my last two albums, there's been like a lot of sort of um, extensions in the chords, like, you know, sixes or sevens or nines, like, you know, colourful notes. But what I found on the baritone is that because it's so low, it gets really muddy if you if you sort of bring in too much other colour. So it's pretty like triad. It's pretty much all like triads. Yeah. But um, – and so I think that that then, I don't know, made me sort of, yeah, try and try and find those more interesting harmonic progressions. Like I love, I love interesting harmony. I sort of like anything. I think that a rule that I have, it's not like a, it's not a hard rule, but I think that generally if I'm writing a song, like I want there to be something in it that I, that surprises me, like mm, as I'm writing it. Um, yeah. And so I guess that was how I was approaching it on the baritone was more like it was less about there being sort of the colourful notes um, and extensions and more about sort of finding um, progressions that – but I still want, you know, like I still always want them to make sense. I don't want them to be so jarring that, you know, it it alienates me or whoever's listening to it. Um, yeah. I don't think that any of it was jarring, but it, it is interesting to 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 go, I'm going to write all of the songs on baritone because mm. then you, you fall into the trap of them having, you know, your hands go to the same places or whatever. Yes. So how did, how did you get around that? Yeah, well, something that I do um, a little bit is writing, like I'll write a progression away from the guitar so I like mm. just write out like sort of like sometimes I'll just write a progression by numbers. So if there's like seven chords in in a major scale, this mm. is getting like real nerdy. No, <laughs> it's getting very nerdy. It. But like, yeah, um, you know, if there's if a major scale has seven chords, then you know, pick four numbers between one and seven, and you kind of have yourself a chord progression. And then sometimes I'll apply that to like different key signatures and just see what like see what it sounds like without having heard it. So like wow. you know take 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 a progression to the instrument and just see what comes from that. That's um, awesome. So you just write numbers and then go yeah. and then play them. And then apply it to a <gasps> key signature or a couple of keys. Yeah. yeah, it's really fun. Um because you don't you know, like sometimes it's like, oh no, that's a bit that's a bit shit, but maybe if I swap that chord for this chord, then oh okay, yeah, that's that's led me to a cool a cool wow. place. Wow. That's so um, interesting. Yeah. I think that I think over lockdown, especially, I was like really trying to find ways to because I was writing quite a lot when I was writing this album, and I didn't want to just keep falling into the same sort of traps. I guess. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think you, your hands, so there's this muscle memory to yeah. playing whatever instrument you're playing. My hand always goes to like a C major on G is like the shape yeah. that I always just want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I pick up the guitar and that's what comes out. Yeah. yeah, I think I do C to A minor. It's a great progression. Yeah, cool. Oh, that's so interesting. So you were just sort of like experimenting on how to write songs by being away from the instrument. Yeah, sometimes, or like sometimes changing up the tuning of the guitar. I did that for maybe only two of them on that record. I was also doing a bunch of um, these songwriting classes through School of Song, um, Mm. which is an organisation in LA, and they had really amazing people taking the classes, like Hand Habits took one, like Meg Duffy, whose Hand Habits took one, and um, Smells Like Leaving came out of that one, and Courtney Marie Andrews took one. Um, I'd... I did one with Luke Temple and that's where like repeat came from that. So yeah, that was sort of like, I was getting all of these cool um, writing exercises from those classes as well. Um, wow, what did they look like? Well, so like the, uh, I mean, what's a good example? Oh, for repeat, that was one that came out of the Luke Temple course and the the sort of limitation or like the parameters were that the chorus had to have only one word. And oh, so wow. <laughs> that That's word a, was repeat. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> the, you could only, oh, I think he, yeah, he was like, you can only use two chords. And I was just like, this is so impossible. And so I broke the rule a little bit, but it's still pretty like, as far as my songs go, that song is pretty static harmonically. Mm. Um, I think I added in, I added in a couple of extras, but it mainly sort of hovers around um, like a four and a five chord for the most part. Um yeah, so that was one. There was one where, like, I, you could only use sus chords for the whole song. And oh, so that wow. was other people's problems pretty much uses. Yeah, so just things that force you. I really love writing with, like, limitations that um, feel quite, like, make you feel quite hemmed in initially because I feel like then you, I start feeling a bit rebellious and I'm like, no, I've got this <laughs> other idea and um, I want to try that thing. Yeah, um, I think that that's when I... Yeah, as opposed to like, if I could do anything, then I just feel like I'm drowning in yeah, yeah, in possibilities. And I can break the limit. You can be like, "Fuck you, I'm a maverick." Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's just like nice to have a a place to start from. Yeah, that you kind of yeah, you get ideas from that place. Yeah, I love that, and then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Tell me about what are you doing next? Are you doing a bunch of paper kites shows? Are you going to play your own shows? Yeah, so when I when I get back from the US tour that I'm playing, so I'm playing in the paper kites band for the US tour, um, but I get back and then I've got album launch shows in for my stuff in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane. Lovely. Um, yeah, so that's uh, like late November, early December. Great. Shows. Everybody buy tickets to those shows. They're going to be great. Are you going Please. to play the baritone? I will be playing the baritone. And I'm bringing to Sydney and Brisbane, I'm bringing um, Georgie Davidis and Marinda Dias Jaisinger, who are like doing backing vocals for me. Great. And they are f- freaky good. They're little witches. And oh, um, so I'm really. We had a re- I was originally going to be doing those shows solo. And then we had a rehearsal the other day. And I was just like, you guys free on the first and second of December? Because <laughs> <laughs> this is just really fun, and I just want to bring you on tour. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited for that. Yeah. Also, being on tour with girls, it's so I know girls great. on tour. We love it. Girls yeah. on tour um, doesn't happen. The enough. Melbourne show will be like full band with them as well. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really nice. I'm Isn't really it so funny? I. Just you saying that you had such a good time at rehearsal. I had a similar mm. thing where I almost forgot how much I loved playing music with other people because I've been doing yes. solo stuff for so yes. long. And there's something so magical about that feeling where people are playing your songs and they're really bringing something amazing to the songs that you wrote and worked really hard on, you know. Yeah. And, that, and you, it's, oh, my God, it's it's such a it's beautiful feeling. Yeah. It's truly the best feeling. And it's sort of just like, yeah, I just spend the whole time like I can't actually like sing properly because I can't wipe the smile off my face. I know. <laughs> like, I had the same thing. Like, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so nice. It's so nice. And singing harmonies. Oh, singing <laughs> harmonies. I know I was so lucky to have Jen from Ballpark Music in oh. my band. and Oh, my God. Um, it- singing with her, it was just, oh, my God. It's so lovely. Yeah. And the other two girls as well, like, yeah, everyone was just so amazing. And I've never played in a band. I don't know if you ever had this is a bit cheesy, but when at rehearsal, when we finished a song, we would all clap and go yay (laughs) I love that no we would just be like I would just get to the end of every song and just be like well that was absolutely fucked so um cool uh great (laughs) um you're uh, yeah I can never sing these songs without you now so thank you yeah thanks for ruining Um, my life I'm bringing you everywhere with me thanks for ruining my bank account yeah (laughs) yeah I feel like um that's a really nice note to almost end on um (laughs) but I want to ask you the last question which is the question that I ask everyone tell me what is your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music okay I I was really struggling to come up with this is a long story is that okay yeah of course I feel like the only the only um story that I could think of I feel like maybe I've just repressed a lot of memories (laughs) um because there's definitely like strange things that have happened but this is all I could think of love it and so I'm ready um, okay, so it's a tour bus story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that counts, but yeah. it's from it's from a, a tour that I did with the Paper Kites um, in the US. Mm-hmm. It was like back in 2019, um, and they've given me their permission to um, to tell the story. <laughs> uh, it's about Sam vomiting in a bag. Um, <laughs> yes, no, I ch- I checked actually because I was like, shit, is Sam going to steal the story that I would have told? <laughs> okay Um, great not so yes it's a tour bus story Mm -hmm. my not a vomit story but yeah (laughs) his did involve a bus didn't it this is a tour bus story um and so I guess like for anyone who's not familiar with bus touring um like basically the way it works is that you live and sleep on the bus in these little like coffin bunk beds the bus drives through the night and you generally arrive in the city that you're playing in by the time you wake up um, have you done bus touring before? I've never done it. It's a real, it's a wild time. I bet. Um, and also I'm a very long person and um, my brother mm. has done lots of bus touring because he toured with Cut Copy for so long. And oh. I, yeah, he was like, it's fucked. The beds are not long enough. Yeah, being a tall person on a bus would not be good. Okay, continue. Oh no. <laughs> okay, so on this day we had like, um, we were supposed to have a day off in Nashville, which was like, we were all really excited about because days off on tour especially with bus touring are pretty rare Mm. like either you've got the show day or you've got um a like a long travel day um and so I woke up I think at around 8 a.m to like I was gonna get off the bus seize the day go around Nashville Mm. um but when I looked out the window I saw that the bus was pulled over and like parked on the side of a highway oh no which was like not a normal thing. Um, like, yeah. That's not standard for bus touring. Um, and so I went to talk to the driver and she said that like the bus had been making some strange noises. Um, and so she'd pulled over and was waiting for a mechanic to come and like check it out. Um, and I think like, I think we're about an hour and a half out of Nashville at this point. Um, and so in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing the maths and realizing that, okay, if the ma- mechanic arrives in an hour or so it takes another hour probably to get the mechanical thing fixed and then another hour to get into Nashville like we're not going to get there until maybe just before lunch best case Mm -hmm. um and everyone's starting to wake up and realizing the situation and the mood is like the mood is not great yeah Uh, most of us like we didn't have any food left on the bus because we've been planning to do a shop in Nashville that day on our day off and many of us didn't shower the night before I think because we thought we were going to have a hotel room that day so we're all like really hungry and grimy and stuck on this bus because we can't can't really get off the bus because it's on the side of a highway and it's also like super hot outside it was like 30 degrees I think um so so the mechanic did not arrive like within the hour it was like one of those situations where the timeline just like, you know, when the timeline keeps getting pushed further and further out and yeah. it just is like impossibly, <laughs> like it just is taking an impossibly yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, I think they arrived maybe at midday um, and maybe, yeah, maybe even later and whatever work they were doing did, like did not take an hour. He was there for 
yeah, so many hours. Oh. It just like, it just was taking forever. And at some point, some kind strangers pulled up and asked if we needed food and they brought, and we were like, yes, please. And they just brought back all of this KFC. Whoa. <laughs> like about 10 family boxes of KFC. Oh my goodness. Which is like, so nice and That's definitely so better than nice. nothing, but. But also we just so felt gross. absolutely <laughs> fucked. Like the whole bus smelled like KFC and we just all felt completely sick. And we were sitting, we'd spent the whole morning sitting in like what we call the social lounge, which is this tiny little section at the back of the bus with a yeah. TV, watching Last Man on Earth. We were just watching Last Man on Earth for hours. And like when we first had started watching it, you know, at the start of the tour, we just thought it was hilarious. But I just remember we were all sitting in this room eating KFC and no, like no one was laughing <laughs> oh, <no>. anymore. <laughs> and it's also worth mentioning that there is a toilet on the bus, but you can only wee. Yeah. So like without like going into details, like that was just like another thing that was at play <laughs> on this day. <laughs> like with KFC, like Hell. factoring in the KFC. Anyway, um, so after a few hours – uh, the mechanic says like they couldn't figure out what the problem was and the bus is going to have to going to like they're going to have to tow the bus. No. This was maybe like I reckon maybe 3 p.m. Um, How far from Nashville were you? Sorry. We were like an hour and a half. Okay. Um, so like really not that far, you yeah. know, like so close yet so far. <laughs> um, and at this point, like it just becomes clear that we're going to have to get a minibus to get us there and somehow like transport all of our instruments and gear. Like there's a lot of gear on that bus and we'd been living on it for like three weeks. So it's like a bit of a mess. Well, not a mess, but like, you know, it's lived in. So we spent like, I don't know, an hour packing everything up and at at like eight, maybe like five hours. I don't even, I mean, where were we up to before? But like maybe like five hours later at 8 PM, the smaller bus pulls up and it's sort of like, do you know those buses like in the movies when they're transporting prison inmates? <laughs> yeah. Like that was the vibe of this bus. It was like, it was so basic. <laughs> it was like, it was, and it was, there was no air con. It was no. like 35 degrees outside at this point. There was no air con and the seats were like metal. It was not a comfortable situation, but we were all just so excited to be leaving yeah um and we were like oh okay well if we're leaving now maybe we can have a drink when we get to nashville like you know that'll be great and so anyway this bus takes off and we get like and i am not joking when i say that we get 300 meters down the road and that bus (laughs) broke down (laughs) and it's like it's just far enough down the highway that like we can still see the other bus. Like we can see the flashing lights. Like I still have a video of this, like of the other bus, but we can't get to it because it's like, it's dark. It's like a fucking American highway. It's not safe. And so we're, we're stuck on this bus in 35 degree heat, like a 300 meter walk from the bus that has at least like kfc and beds yeah. and water and a toilet oh my god um, and it's like yeah so we're just at this point it becomes like quite funny we're all completely delirious because it just feels like this impossible series of events like how is this real like that two buses have broken down today and then like just when things couldn't get any weirder these guys pull up beside us um sort of like hooning like they sort of hoon off the highway and pull up beside us and sort of get out of the car and they're these two guys in like shorts and cowboy boots like really Uh intense cowboy boots and they come onto the bus and we're like it it seemed like they were trying to help us like that was that seemed to be the vibe but when they came onto the bus we also noticed they had like guns (gasps) um on their belts oh no and which is i guess you just like we were in the south I guess that's just a thing that you can do, but like not a great feeling no. to be um, on a bus that's broken down in the middle of absolute nowhere with two guys with guns on Bros the bus. With guns. Um, so that happened. And then anyway, at some they, they couldn't help us and so they left. And then eventually like maybe another hour or so later, I think it would have been 10 p.m. by this point, the owner of the prison bus company comes 
to our rescue in a Kia Carnival (laughs) 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 with his, but like, and there's so many of us to transport. I think maybe he, like a friend of his also brought a car for the crew, but like there's so many of us to cram into this Kia Carnival, but he's brought his wife and his daughter because it turns out that his daughter is like the biggest Paper Kites fan ever. Oh no. And so like... (laughs) We're just like, there's 10 of us like jammed into this Kia Carnival for an hour and a half drive home. Um, and and was the daughter like, paper cuts are stinky. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the paper cuts smell really bad. <laughs> and actually we did like pull in at a service station. And like, let's just say like, I re- feel really sad for the, for the whoever had to deal with the toilets. <laughs> Oh no! So we made it. We did make it at midnight. I think we got to Nashville. Holy and that is my story. shit! That <laughs> what a nightmare of a day. It was a big day. It that was a really is big a day. killer story. And also, yeah. like, I really felt like I was there because so many things like that happen <laughs> when you're on tour. Like things yeah. break down, and you have to, and tour is waiting. Like tour is yes. always w- waiting for something. Totally, it's so yeah. tedious. And it's especially when you just like you have one day off and you've just like, Can't you know, wait. like those days are so precious yes. and like you just to be sitting trapped on a bus. Oh, my goodness. Just being like, how is this? How is this what's happening right now? We're an hour and a half away. <laughs> Why is the minibus coming at 8 p.m.? Why is it not coming at yeah. like just straight away to our rescue? Midday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's amazing. Hey, thank you so much for making the time to chat to me. It's oh, such a nice such time. A pleasure. I feel like we've me known too. each other a long time. I know. We're old friends We're now. We're old friends. It's nice. 